Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could be with us today. Many of us are concerned about young people and crime. We see the more serious crimes that make the news, carjackings and assaults inside our schools. Young people are also getting in trouble for shoplifting, fights, missing school and using drugs. Too often, our courts and juvenile justice systems don't actually address the underlying behavior. Teenagers are locked up, let go, and go on to commit more crimes. So what if there was a better way to address the harm that young people cause themselves and others? This hour, I want to learn more about something called restorative justice. It's an alternative approach that got attention at the Minnesota legislature this past session. The public safety bill signed by Governor Tim Walz included funding and a new state office to promote restorative justice programs across the state. And as I talk with three guests about this this hour, I want to hear from you, too. We're taking your phone calls. Were you involved with the criminal justice system as a young person or with a restorative justice process? What do you want people to know about that experience? And if you've participated in another way with a restorative justice circle, what was that like for you? Call us at 651 651- Two two seven six thousand. Again, the number is six five one two two seven six thousand. You can also call eight hundred two four two twenty eight twenty eight. Let me introduce my guest today. We have Sharon Hendricks here in the studio. Sharon is the restorative justice director in Yellow Medicine County. That's one of the first Minnesota communities to use restorative practices as an alternative to the traditional court system for young people. They started doing this twenty years ago. Hi. Sharon. Hi. Good to meet you. And thank you for making that drive uh, from Granite Falls to be here today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Brenda Burnside is here too. Brenda is the CEO of Let's Circle Up. She has a background in dispute resolution, special education, and restorative community work. She's involved with the Reimagining Justice for Youth. That's an initiative at the Ramsey County Attorney's Office. And Brenda also sits on the three-person team that reviews juvenile cases in Ramsey County and considers them for diversion to a restorative justice process. Hi, Brenda. Thank you for your time this morning. Hi, thank you. Nice to meet you. And Cara Beckman is here with us too. Cara is a senior evaluator in the Healthy Young Development Prevention Research Center at the University of Minnesota Medical School. She researches restorative justice programs in several Minnesota communities. Cara, thank you for being here. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Angela. I'm eager to jump into this. Uh, If you listen to the show regularly, I'm very interested in education, but also just the the lives that young people are living and trying to get a better understanding of what is happening, you know, to them today and and what is helping and what's not. So my first question uh, about restorative justice is I think that term for many people may be somewhat new or they may be not really clear on what it means. So I would love it if each of you could could sort of define um, define restorative justice. How do you describe it when you meet people, Cara? What is restorative justice? Uh, I would say really directly, it's the people impacted by an incident coming together to address what needs to happen uh, so that the people hurt and the people who caused the hurt can experience healing. Um, so it's very much about a process from the beginning where people are engaged in the response. So it's not about the end point, right, of what the imposed consequence might be. It's about an active process of hearing each other's stories and then determining together what is needed. 
Hmm. And Brenda, what about you? I, I know that you see restorative justice sort of as a switch in, in mindset. How do you d- define it? Okay. I um, I actually have my own definition um, that I use in my trainings. And that definition is seeking the humanity in everyone and prioritizing that above their actions. And that's because I believe that we are more than just what we do, right? We are uh, people who sometimes make mistakes through our actions, and our intention and our heart does not follow that. Um, So that's why I use that definition. But I will also say that Kay Pranis and uh, Fania Davis in their book, The I think it's the little book of race and restorative justice actually define it as a healing justice rather than a harming one. Um, They talk about um, how it transforms broken lives as opposed Mm -hmm. to inflicting punishment on people who've made mistakes with their lives. I mean, we've all made mistakes, right? Um, So that's the way I define it. And in my trainings, I usually ask people to define that because the way you define it determines how you approach Mm -hmm. restorative practice. And I refer to it as a practice. I'm not sure that we can ever accomplish justice, really, on this side of, you know. That, that's hard to hear because I, I, I'm thinking as a victim. Mm-hmm. And so right. if someone has caused me harm, I want some punishment, Sharon. I mean, how do you just mm-hmm. describe restorative justice? Well, that is a hard question, actually, because it's better felt. However, when people ask, I often say that overarching philosophy of restorative justice is a lot like what Kara said, and uh, that sometimes something happens and it creates an impact. And it's understanding the impact and what needs have arisen out of that impact of what has happened. And we use we started with circle sentencing. And a lot of times I would describe it as instead of going to court and hearing, you've broken a law against the state of Minnesota, you'll be placed on probation for a period of time, and you'll complete conditions A, B, C, and D in that time, and then you will be done. In Yellow Medicine County, it's referred to circle. Circle sentencing? Mm-hmm. And, and the paradigm shift there is that you've broken a relationship with your community or the person that you've harmed. So the, the shift is to the relationship piece and having an understanding and deeper, um, more empathy around the impact. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about what needs to change, what happened, what do we need to focus on for you, for the person impacted? And oftentimes the ripple effect of that impact is a lot larger than just one person or one business. It affects a community. And so then the community can be involved in not only repairing that, but having a say. And then there's an increase in feeling of safety in the community because there's a say in what should happen. Have you found, particularly with young people, because they are young, they honestly don't understand the impact. They're not, their brains are not developed enough to really understand what they did. Correct. Is that true? Yes. 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 Brenda, all of there, you. There are, you know, there are parts of um, child development where you know that children are going to explore things. You know that they're going to try things. You know that they're going to test the limits. Right. It's all a part of the whole learning process. And so there are some things we can say, you know, like, you know, when you tell your children a 100 times not to do something or to do something mm-hmm. and you have to continue to remind them up until a certain age. And then all of a sudden that aha moment peak, you know, just pops in. And then they say, Oh, yeah, I was supposed to take out the garbage. Oh, yeah. Or my kids have gone away from home now. And now they remember all the things they're like, Oh, my, I'm so sorry. You know, I should have done this. I should have done that. Right. And I said, Well, I told you over and over again, right. But they weren't at a moment where they could receive it. 
mm-hmm. they could hear it, where they we could really, you know, absorb uh, what was going on at that time. So, so and, and Cara. Yeah, I mean, I think development. The, exactly. So when we I mean, this is what attracted kind of our center to this work in the first place was we actually received a call 12 years ago from a restorative justice practitioner at the Legal Rights Center saying, I think what we do in terms of responding to harmful behavior uh, with young people actually aids in their development. Could you help us figure this out a little bit? And so at our center, we uh, really think about and, and recognize adolescence as a really critical developmental stage for young people. And, you know, there are all sorts of processes involved in this developmental stage that set them up for success in adulthood. And one of those is learning how to be accountable for your actions. And unfortunately, up until adolescence, we don't really have the practices that say, what does Mm -hmm. it mean to explore your inner emotional states and the connections between your emotions and your actions, and learn how to recognize how that can have an impact on other people. And so we're often, you know, young people who are, who get, you know, if they like win the lottery and get access to restorative justice are sometimes coming to this type of conversation for the very first time. We could instead as a society really choose to, you know, adopt these practices broadly so that by the time they're 13, 14, 15, they've regularly been kind of taught the skills of recognizing their emotional state, how that shows up in their behavior, and then how that has impacts on other people that they share some accountability for. But instead, we end up teaching them the first time they come into circle how to engage in that. And that really is kind of an impediment to their development. I want to take a step back and describe, like, what are we talking about? Like, what are, what are these kids doing? Um, and Sharon, can you give us some examples, uh, without the specifics, obviously, uh, what kinds of offenses uh, are you seeing in Yellow Medicine County? I mean, what are we talking about? Like, stealing things, causing car crashes? What What's the range of crimes? We have a pretty large range uh, that we deal with in Circle. Predominantly, we have had criminal damage to property. Mm-hmm. We have had assaults, um, theft, those are typically the types of charges that mm-hmm. come to circle for us. And, and, in, and in Ramsey County, sort of the same range? Very similar. Um, I would also say, you know, the stealing the cars, you know, mm-hmm. the kids have heard on TikTok and all of these things, you know, things that are going on. And it challenges them, right? Remember all those challenges we were getting at one time, you know, swallow cinnamon and all this kind of thing. Kids were really, I mean, it was like, Try it, try it, charge. But that's a huge leap to mm-hmm. like, like taste something to like go steal someone's car, and then you know try to drive it when you can. Yeah. Well, when you think about it, it's really not that difference in terms of the challenge. It may be different in terms of the behavior, but it, you know it's the same thing that says, "Oh, this is a, this is something I can try. This is something to explore. This is going to give me a you know this big adrenaline rush, right?" Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really not different when you think about it. So give me an example then uh, in Yellow Medicine County. You guys have been doing this since 2002. Uh, walk me through one, what happens now when a, a young person is cited for a crime in Yellow Medicine County and then the um, restorative uh, justice process. What does that look like? What, what do they, the kid, what do they do? Absolutely. I did want to just piggyback quickly on what Cara said too about um, youth and what they understand when coming into circle. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, I don't know if you've heard of adverse childhood experiences. Uh, Any experience, any of those adverse childhood experiences can cause trauma. And oftentimes that stunts brain development and makes makes it difficult to access the front of someone's brain. So Mm -hmm. brain development, we develop from the back to the front of the brain. 
where we need to make decisions is in the front, and that's not developed till later in life. So Circle is a lot about helping youth learn how to make decisions, because in the moment that they do something, maybe it's breaking a window. The intent is, yeah, I'm going to break that window with no understanding of the impact or the ripple effect of actually what that means. So the impact someone inside could get hurt, the cost of replacing the window, like all of that. Yes. And then the fear of other businesses on the same street whose window was broken. There's an entire ripple effect. And that's what we get to address in Circle and help youth understand and help people who've been harmed by those behaviors understand and recognize the humanity and the person who did it and come to deeper understanding. So we're literally talking about a conversation. Let's slow this down and talk about what you did, maybe why you did it, and how it affected the person that was harmed. Mm -hmm. Well, for us, uh, a citation would come in and the county attorney's office would charge that. And for us, the referrals come through the court for circle sentencing. We have many different forms of circle, but today we're focusing on circle sentencing. And that would come, like I said earlier, from the court referred by the judge saying you're referred to circle. And the youth then is referred to their community. It comes to our department. We have a facilitator. We have community volunteers who've been trained in circle. We have the family and their support systems. We have mm-hmm. the person or multiple people who've been harmed who also have a support system. And we start asking those questions. What happened? How did it happen? Who was impacted? What needs need to be addressed by that impact? How can we help you to do better? Right. And, and Cara, I, I want to believe that there are many success stories since we know that this is expanding. What can you tell us as a researcher there at the U that, that you know? What does restorative justice do when a young person has gone through this process, talked about it, and learned like what they really did? Right. So it, it helps their brain development and their emotional maturity because they – so, you know, what I would kind of draw out of Sharon's example is – that very active involvement in an accountability process where you have to go back and think through what happened, what is needed to make things right, what are my obligations, and also what is the help that I need potentially to meet some of these obligations, including the ones that are maybe un- you know uncovering some underlying needs that I had. Mm-hmm. And so when we accompany young people on that journey, they gain skills in empathy because they had to listen to the impact of their behavior on other people. They gain skills in perspective taking. That's a key part of brain development, right, is to now understand that. So often what will happen is a young person, they might come in and say, like, who's been impacted? And they're like, well, I am because I have to go through this now, Mm -hmm. right? So they have like Mm -hmm. that kind of 12 to 16 year olds can be pretty self-centered because which is exactly where they're supposed to be as an adolescent. But then they begin to hear the impact. And so that creates that brain development towards being able to see other people's perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, And then those that the mindset shift of like, well, now I might be a bad person to what Brenda said earlier, right? You're not a bad person. You did a thing that is not acceptable in the community and you need to make that right. But we also are committed to, as a community to getting you back on track. And so mm-hmm. that third impact mm-hmm. is a resetting of, yeah, that's right. I am this person who wants to be a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, and I can that's I can still be that still person. This is not going to set me back from that. And Brenda, have you seen in in your years of working uh, in this that there are many success? It makes a difference. Absolutely. Um, there is no substitution for human interaction. 
We, we, we need to be clear about that, that when people have to look in your eyes and talk to you about what they've done, um, that's a level of accountability. Mm-hmm. Accountability isn't always about punishment and consequence, which we as a, a society have to retrain ourselves about that. Um, it's not always about that. Sometimes it's about looking in the face of someone that you've harmed and realizing that you made that impact and that it's Ooh. up to you to repair it. Um, so that's what I think we get wrong. We don't understand that accountability can't happen in isolation. So when you put somebody in a cell, that's isolating them from the behavior that they've done, and it's removing them from the people who they've impacted. But when they have to continually look in people's eyes and say, I did that, that is the accountability that we're looking for. When we start off um, in our CRT and we're talking about who has been impacted, the young person first sees one or two people. But then when we go to say, no, you stole that car, but yes, um, the person was impacted, their families were impacted, their, um, you know, their community was impacted, the whole industry of um, Kia and, you know, Hyundai have been impacted because mm-hmm. nobody wants those cars now, right? Mm-hmm. So then it becomes a broad spectrum of people who you've impacted and you've changed a whole, you shifted a whole community and society. Take me in that room. I'm thinking if, if I'm the victim of theft, um, how do how do victims feel when they are called upon? Okay, you want to meet the person who stole mm-hmm, your car mm-hmm. and sit and talk. I mean, what is that experience? Do people want to do it? And 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 then what is it like? There is a wide range of responses on that. Mm-hmm. So some people absolutely they want punishment. But think about it. What happens to our humanity when we we want somebody just to be punished and nothing comes from it? What is it about that pound of flesh that makes us feel better? And is that a good thing that, you know, that we want somebody to suffer, even though nothing comes from it for the community or for them? Mm -hmm. Right. All it does is says, I'm going to feed my need for revenge, you know, and all of that. So I'm like, what good does that do us? Sharon, what have you seen? What did you want to say? Uh, One of our first victims that we ever walked through the circle process, uh, it was a first-degree burglary felony and a criminal damage to property felony done by two young men in the community. And obviously, that caused a lot of harm, very upset victim. And we started Circle, and we had separate circles for the person who was harmed in their support network and the youth in their support network until both were ready to come together. And the first time that they came together, the person who was harmed and owned the store said when she got the talking piece, I now realize that you two are young men in my community and you're not monsters. Mm -hmm. That humanized Mm -hmm. it for her and it made the youth feel human and want to succeed and be given the opportunity to apologize in a meaningful relationship-based way. And then the volunteer said, I'm going to stay in this circle as a volunteer for as long as it takes for you two to become the young men that you want to be. And she did. And she volunteered with us for 20 years until she passed mm. away. Mm. Um, Car, anything you want to add? Well, I would just say that I think it's very important to kind of tease out this idea or the difference between people who are harmed desiring a meaningful response, which they have every right to, and the way society has kind of um, limited that to saying, truly, the only choice you have is to desire the most severe punishment. Mm -hmm. And so 
absolutely people deserve a meaningful response to have the hurt acknowledged, something done to replace what was lost. That's what restorative justice actually does far better than our current system, which kind of says, you know, it it really removes the agency of victims as well by saying it's now up to the courts and lawyers to determine whether this person is guilty, you know, what their sentence should be. And then at the end, the victim can come back in and have a kind of impact statement. But there's nothing that says right away, you know, tell us what your needs are. Tell us if and when you want to be involved in a direct conversation with the with a person who hurt you, um, and and they just move on. They just they, they just, just move, move on, on, or they're kind of sidelined to say, you know, the state is taking over prosecution of this because this is much more about, uh, as Sharon said, a, a crime against the state than mm-hmm. it is a, a crime against you, and it's in the best interest of the state to take this out of your hands, Humanity. right? As opposed to involve you as a critical voice in this process. If you're just joining us. We're talking about restorative justice, and I want to hear from you, too. I have three guests in the studio who work closely in this, uh, but I want to know, were you involved uh, with the criminal justice system as a young person or with a restorative justice process? What do you want people to know about uh, that experience, about these these circles we've been talking about, about talking about the impact uh, of, of some harm uh, that has been caused? If you've participated in another type of uh, restorative justice circle, tell us about it. Call us at 651 227 6,000, or you can call us at 800-242-2828. Brenda, Sharon, and Cara, let's take some phone calls from our listeners uh, who are on hold. Uh, In St. Paul, Sam is on the phone. Sam, thank you for listening. Thanks for waiting. What do you want to tell us about restorative justice? Yeah, hi. Um, First, I just want to say thank you for having this conversation. It's been really inspiring to listen to. As a kindergarten teacher in East St. Paul, we try to practice restorative practices. It's been about a three or four year journey for our school. Mm-hmm. But our district has started to push CBIS and other disciplinary practices that don't align with restorative justice. And so we are just really struggling to find the balance between the two. And I wonder if you have any experience with situations like that. Uh, first time, I have more questions. Tell me what's going on with, you said you're a kindergarten teacher. So what are yeah. five and six-year-olds doing uh, to each other that may require a conversation? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the everyday stuff, you know, sharing materials, sharing physical space. Um, But we have found that our kids that are coming in with a lot of trauma have really escalated and really high behaviors. So we have a high behavioral need that we've never seen before. So we have had things like violence and we've had more extreme things happen with a few individuals. And we want to bring them back into the community rather than ostracize them. So circles have been around that as well. And they're so young. So you want to know what can school districts do or what would be helpful for them to know? Um, I'll I'll start. Maybe you're a researcher, Kari, at the U of M. You're looking into this. What, What have you found has been successful with really young children in school systems? Yeah, well, I can start a little bit with how I got into this work in the first place, which was circling up. I was invited by the Department of Education to have a focus group with people who tried to do this work in schools. And I kept hearing these success stories from restorative practitioners about South St. Paul and how this work had started in the late 90s in South St. Paul, and they had all this amazing success. And my children were in South St. Paul elementary schools at the time. And I had never Your own heard, children. My own children were there, and I had never heard of restorative justice mm-hmm. because it came in, it got funded for three years, and then, he, and then slowly it disappeared. And I think St. Paul Public Schools is in kind of that same fragile place with their restorative uh, 
practices work because it got a lot of, you know, it had some initial funding. There's still actually some external funding coming in to support that. But there isn't necessarily that moral commitment to say, we know this is right by children. And so why is it right by, why is it better for children? Why is it right for children? Because of course, our youngest learners are, you know, are impacted by the trauma that they have been surrounded by for the past five years. And so Mm -hmm. one of the mindsets that restorative justice invites us to is this idea that behavior is communication. If we think of behavior as character, then we think we just need to punish it out of that's them. That's a bad and t- child. That's just a that's bad just child. That's just a bad child, right? Mm-hmm. But if we think of behavior as communication, then we think, oh, these are really big behaviors in a five-year-old. I wonder what's happening what happened to bring to this them, out. Right? What happened to you? What happened to your family? It invites us into this historical perspective of what has happened to your community to cause this rift between school and families in many cases, right, where where parents are afraid to engage meaningfully with school because they've had their own trauma with schools. And so it just invites us into what has been said to this humanizing um, acknowledgement of of behavior. And then a real, what I love about this work and what I feel like I've been able to bring to the community a little bit is this developmental lens of what is, where does a five-year-old kind of, how do their emotions come out in their body? And and what is the developmentally appropriate response? It's not to say, what were you thinking and feeling at the time? That requires more brain development than a five-year-old has. But it can be like, oh, that's that feeling you get in your stomach, that's this thing we call anger. And sometimes mm. you can see that coming and we have this breathing ball in the corner. And so when you start to get that feeling in your stomach, we can go over and take some deep breaths and then we can practice some of the words that, right? And so really in elementary school, it is about teaching children the language of emotions and the way to recognize the importance of those emotions, but also the way to, you know, interrupt the automatic uh, linkage between a a hard emotion and a physically violent Mm -hmm. behavior. Um, Brenda, Sam in St. Paul, kindergarten teacher, what can school districts do? Sam, I'm so glad you brought this up. I worked in the school district as a special ed TA for 13 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was there, you start day one creating community. You don't wait for the problem. I create community everywhere I go. This is my baby right here, the community piece, right? Because restorative practice can't happen without community. We need the community for uh, for accountability. We need the community for support. We need all of those things. But day one, if you think about it, Sam, when we first come to school, we already have the room set up. We don't let the kids participate in how we create that community. We don't ask them what makes them comfortable. When we used to, uh, when I was in the schools, uh, when we decided to be a restorative school, we asked every child to make a talking piece. So that they knew that they could participate. What's a talking piece? A talking piece is actually something we use in the circle when we come to circle and we pass it around and each person gets a time to participate. So right? if you're holding it, it means you, it's your You time, are the only one talking. To talk. Everyone else is actively mm-hmm. listening when we have that talking piece. But let them participate. Let them be a part of that community. Start to create community around you. Um, you know, don't leave them out because that's where the system has failed. 
The system tried to leave community out. You can't leave community out of this process. It's an indigenous process that was built around communities. And so now, you know, when we look at the isms and schisms, that's what I call the systems, (laughs) right? Um, All of that is layered over our humanity and we forget we're people. So we have to do the whole skill of people centering. I tell people when Philando Castile happened, there was a four-year-old in the back of that um, car. And I said, she's going to be in somebody's school next year, you know, the coming Mm -hmm. up school year. And I said, if we're teachers, how will we teach to that trauma if we don't know who that child is? We, We won't know her name, but... If somebody is in that classroom, we have to uh, actually create that community around any possible trauma in the space. So start day one. Introduce yourself. Speak every morning. Right. Always talk to kids. You know what I mean? They feel like sometimes the next day, my special ed kids, we'd have a tough day and we go at it back and forth. I'd be redirecting and redirecting. And at the next day, they think I'm going to be mad at them. I said, oh, no, today is a new day. Good morning. Let's Mm -hmm. start over. You know, let's try this thing again. You heard what uh, Sam, the kindergarten teacher who called in, um, has witnessed the, the, the pushing that, like I'm envisioning, what are five-year-olds doing? Oh, they're pushing each other around. It's escalating, right? Becoming, mm-hmm. uh, you know, actually, I guess, more more violent. Maybe, you know, kids are getting hurt. And then and that's a result of what's happening in the, in the world and mm-hmm. what they're seeing. Yeah. So, Sharon, what are your thoughts of what schools and, and uh, can do and starting this early and creating these skills of like, let me control my breathing. Let me step away from this. What could be the impact or what do you think school district leaders need to know? Well, Sam, I'm not quite sure what you have tried. Uh, however, we say from the outset, create an environment in the classroom where you can use circle to celebrate your joys just as much as you can use it to repair something. Because the more the children know a way of communication, they're more apt to utilize that then when something isn't going well. Um, another thing that I always say when people say, how do we start restorative justice, no matter where it is, whether it's in schools or with families or with systems, is ask for a restorative process to talk about it. That's one of the ways that Yellow Medicine did so well in creating the restorative justice programs that we have is that we all sat at the table together. We had our county attorney, our uh, law enforcement, our family services, Upper Sioux community, community members, uh, corrections, and we all talked about what's working, what's not, and what can we do differently. And I think that is one of the keys, and we continue to do that throughout the last 20 years of doing CIRCLE is we're constantly talking and partnering. This is a partnership and a shared power in all ways. Uh, and I think with schools especially, sometimes we get so focused on teachers have to teach and we only have this much time, and mm-hmm. that has to be hard. And so how can we go to our administration and say, could we have, as teachers, staff, everybody involved, have a restorative process to talk about it? How can we use those same principles for ourselves as adults? Because we're not just doing restorative justice with other people. We are doing restorative work with each other just as much as we are with the people who are coming in who have made a mistake or done something that has brought them to us. Uh, Let's take another phone call from a listener in Bemidji. Uh, In Bemidji, we have Kyle on the phone. Good morning, Kyle. Thank you for calling in. And what do you want to tell us about restorative justice? Yeah, so... um I was in restorative justice in Yellow Medicine County when I was 15. I just turned 29 this last Saturday. Um, Kyle, what did you you do when you were 15? What happened? What did you do? um, I got into some criminal trouble 
um, with some friends, uh, you know, to give you a little background on that. Didn't have the greatest upbringing, not a lot of love and care uh, in my life, um, but ended up going into somebody's garage and taking beer out. Wasn't mine. Um, and ended up getting caught by the police. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, that kind of started my circle journey. I mean, obviously that was felony charges. Um, and circle was, was definitely a, a transformative experience. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today, um, or at the position in life I am without that. Uh, I didn't know the effect that it would have when I was 15 years old. I heard you guys talk about, um, a lot of people that age are pretty selfish, and I think that's where it was, but that was what was modeled for me um, as a youth. Um, the biggest thing with with Circle, I think, is getting the community involved and bringing other people around, because for some of the people that may be in that program or the kids that committed crimes or, or whoever it may be, um, that's the first time they've had an interaction with the outside community of people that are coming around them that care, that want what's best for them, that are going to hold them accountable um, and show them that there there are consequences to their actions, but at the same time, there's a better way to live. There is a life out there that that you can pursue that that doesn't go down this road. Um, Kyle, a quick question. Back when you were 15, did you have to sit uh, in front of uh, a person or or, or people that you had harmed, who who you had victimized or stolen from? Did you have to actually um, meet and talk with them? I, I had to write a letter. Um, the particular people in my, the particular victims in my restorative justice decided not to meet with me, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. I mean, that's understandable. It's a scary experience to have somebody basically invade your home and privacy. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I did write uh, a letter to them um, of contrition and apology. And, and um, you know, they, they were... Um, they just chose not to meet, but they were still communicative with, uh, like, the other people in the circle. So, and did you did you say I mentioned that that in this process of of meeting people who were working with you and talking with you, it was sort of the first time you felt like you were with adults who really cared about you. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in a home that was fueled by abuse and uh, and substance use, and was homeless many times. Uh, up to the point, I mean, um, <laughs> at the time, Julie Marthaler was the director of restorative justice. And I remember telling her that, uh, my parents were more like roommates, uh, than they were mm-hmm. parents. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my case is a little bit different too, because there was a family circle going on at the same time as the restorative trying to bring, um, you know, mm-hmm. trying to make the family unit stronger and better. Um, you know, and, and honestly, Circle led me to, I'm going to call it my forever home. I, I was adopted, um, you know, and that, that's who I consider my, my parents. You and know, Kyle, so, one more uh, question. You said you're 29 now. So what, uh, what are you doing with your life now? Um, yeah. What- so, I mean, there's been some ups and downs between there. Um, but currently, uh, I'm a student at Bemidji State University, uh, pursuing my dream since I was five of becoming a wildlife biologist. So I just started this semester. I got an AA degree from Central Lakes College um, in Brainerd, um, and yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just chasing the dreams. I think Circle gave me a lot of uh, of the skills and relationships and how to build relationships, how to maintain them, um, you know, and and how to think of others, not just think of myself and what those actions are. 
Um, the other cool thing uh, with with Circle is I always remember the openings and. You know, it would be some sort of a reading uh, normally that would tell, cause you to think. And tell me about that. Do you, do you remember, as as my cousin would often ask me, do you remember what were the exact words? Yeah. So, well, I mean, normally it would start with a story, and there's two stories that stand out to me still to this day that I think about. And one's about a guy walking down a street and falling into a hole. And then he keeps walking down the same street and falling into a hole. And eventually he learns, just take a different street, right? And you won't fall into the hole. Easier said than done, you know? Um, And the other one that really stood out to me (laughs) was uh, a story of a forest fire and it's raging and all these animals are basically criticizing a hummingbird because it's picking up water and going and dropping it on the fire. And they're like, why are you doing this? There's nothing... You know, you're not going to be able to stop this. And the hummingbird says, well, I'm going to do what I can one drop at a time. And so mm-hmm. those are stories mm-hmm. that have stuck with me throughout my, my life. I mean, you may seem insignificant, but you can do what you can do, even if it's just a little uh, to make make the world a better place. That's Kyle in Bemidji. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, Hearing your story uh, uh, has been a gift to us all, and I'm glad that you're doing well. Thank you for sharing uh, what you experienced as someone who was a participant in a restorative justice process. Ooh, the word circle is never going to be the same to me again after (laughs) this. Uh, uh, All of you nodding here. Uh, Sharon, I'll start with you because uh, you are there in Yellow Medicine County. Kyle's story is this one that you uh, have seen play out many times. Absolutely. And Kyle still stays connected with the volunteers that were in his circle. The deep, deep impact that people have on youth, I don't know that our volunteers even realize how deep that impact is. And these are the types of stories that we see in every circle. And that's why we believe so deeply in the power of this work is that people make mistakes and we can separate the behavior from the human and help them do better. Because When people wake up in the morning, they don't say, today I want to go commit a crime and I want to have all these problems. I want to harm people. These things take place and they have to have an understanding of that impact and that they still deserve community. They still deserve support and they can have that while in circle while being held lovingly accountable. They're still going to be held accountable. And we have kids in circle anywhere from six months I have a family that's been in circle for six years. They just need that level of support, and that can happen. Uh, Brenda, you work uh, there in Ramsey County. Uh, uh, you work the collaborative review team uh, through the Ramsey County Attorney's Office. So you have a say in some of these cases you would advise. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that, and, and also what did you hear there uh, in, in Kyle's story? Yes. Well, first of all, uh, thank you, Kyle, for sharing that story. Really appreciate it because it brings out the fact that belongingness is a need. It's not an accessory. We need to belong in communities. We need to be accepted by communities. Um, that it, we need that more than we do food and clothing. And and we what do we you mean by that. belongingness? Belongingness, uh, um, being accepted in a community, mm-hmm. being accepted in a family or a home or a community. Um, when people feel ostracized or separated from people and from community, it makes you feel like you know you don't belong here. You're you're not um, you don't fit. Um, and we don't have that island to put people on that we don't get along with, or you know that kind of thing. Everybody can find their people somewhere, right? Uh, we're not made to live alone. 
or in isolation. We're not. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just tell people everybody needs to belong. So when you ostracize people and push them out, we've seen that in the school shootings, right? All of those people didn't have a group to belong to. Mm -hmm. They had no friends. They had uh, no one who was like checking in on them. Um, So all of that, that's a need. It's not something that's extra. Um, So and we all feel that as human beings, right? That's all about the humanity that has to be mixed in. But for the collaborative review team, um, it's, it's a process where we can center the person, not just what they've done, right? So we ask questions like, uh, what was their background? Was there trauma? Are there inequities? Things like that that exist. So when we get a case in, whether it's a, you know, a car theft or, a, um, you know, a person stealing something or whatever, whatever the young person has done, we ask those questions. We ask, what were the inequities? We listen for things like, was the person adopted? Do they have a guardian listed or is it listed as a mom or a dad or a parent? Is it a grandparent, right? So that tells us, has the, you know, family gone through some things that maybe put them in a different kind of situation? Those are just like clues that we look at. And then we say, what was the underlying thing that started all of this, right? Mm -hmm. So was there trauma? Was there, um, you know, some kind of thing that set them off? Was there a death in the family? You know, things like that. Um, How did it impact? We think about uh, and we ask the question, who's been impacted? We actually list all the people who have been impacted. Um, And then we think about how can this harm be repaired, right? Is there a community provider that this person can go to um, who will, you know, set them back in a, you know, on on a different path or have them to go a different way or think about something differently? And so we try to match them with community providers who can do that work rather than put them through a penal system. What if the young person doesn't want it, doesn't want to interact, doesn't want to hear it? I don't want to look in nobody's eyes. I don't want to go through any programs. Great question. Mm -hmm. Great question. It is totally voluntary. You do not have to participate. Mm -hmm. The thing um, that I think about is, you know, if they don't want to participate and they continue in the behavior, they'll come again. Right. We'll get them again. You'll be back. Um, Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, So you don't force anybody to do restorative work. Um, we invite them to do restorative work, um, but if they they're not interested, they're but not you, interested. You found that most people do. Most they people want do. another option. Most people do, but sometimes um, you can't force people to receive a message they're not ready for. Right. But you can always right. plant a seed. Right. You can always drop it in, and I tell people, you know, once you get it out there, once you know people have heard something, you can't unhear it. Mm-hmm. So it's still there. You got to do something with it. Um, so um, that's, you know, what I just, you know, say to people. But, yeah, the restorative message is still there. And the invitation is always there. Car, I want to give you an opportunity. We, there was a lot. Uh, a seat got planted and Kyle turned his life around. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think what I would pull out from Kyle's story is one is just how representative it is of the types of behavior that young people get arrested for in Minnesota, right? Mm-hmm. I know that our public dialogue is really about the hardest cases. Every data set I've looked at in terms of youth arrests in, in Minnesota is, you know, 50 to 60% misdemeanor level. So young people are being arrested for the things every young person do, do does, but only some young people get, get arrested caught. for, mm-hmm. right? Getting caught. And and we could have said, Kyle, that is your problem. You chose to go mm-hmm. and, and you deserve whatever punishment you get. Or we could have this process that he describes as tra- transformative, where we share some of the responsibility for acknowledging this is pretty typical youth behavior, especially for somebody who comes from from violence or from, you know, a, a, a difficult circumstance. And so we can wrap Kyle up with love and support and and the opportunity to make things right. 
and get him back on his path to fulfilling a dream, right? Not without bumps along the way, as he said, but but with that seed that said, I've been taught a better way, and I'm going to keep coming back to that until it connects. And so... So that is the vast majority of the kind of behavior that young people are doing in Minnesota. Yes, there are really hard cases. We are failing those hard cases with our current system. They will be difficult in a restorative system. But if we draw on the lessons of what has worked in across communities in Minnesota, we can figure this out together to Sharon's point of bringing together people and tackling these harder issues as well. Um, we'll, we'll get to a better point. Um, and so. Well, we just have a couple minutes left, yeah. and we have uh, one more listener I want to uh, get to who's on the phone, and uh, this is uh, Carrie calling in uh, in from Carlton County. Uh, good morning, Carrie. Good morning. Hi, and, and I understand that you are actually you're a community member um, in the first restorative justice circle in Carlton County, which is uh, just west of Duluth there. Uh, you went on to volunteer with many more circles. What do you want to say? We've heard so much in this conversation. What have you learned about the restorative justice process and, and how, it, how it works and, and the impact it can make? Well, I was so amazed at how it gave voice to everyone impacted, not just one or the other. And I loved um, hearing what some of your guests were saying earlier about um, the humanity of it Mm -hmm. and how we can't be put in silos. The circle that I was involved with and and several afterwards, um, the one that when I first entered in, I thought, how in the world are we going to bring these folks, you know, the victims of the crime and this youth who had made some really bad choices how in the world are we ever going to get through this work? And I know that a lot of people, when they hear about this process, think it's all kumbaya, you know? <laughs> yes. um, but truth I- be told, it's probably some of the hardest work folks will ever do. And I, I give big kudos, not only to your programs, but Kyle, hearing that, it just warms my heart to hear about the successes. And, you know, the reality is there are ups and downs, but we all have those ups and downs in our lives, whether we've committed a crime or not, you know, and how do we bring the humanity to it? Right. I and just uh, want to say at the beginning of that. And Karen, we circle, just have 30 seconds left here. If there's just one okay. final thing you want to say about what you've seen. Well, fast forward many years. Um, one of the circles I was involved with, I'm actually officiating um, this young man's wedding in a very short amount of time in the near future and it was a felony level case never would i've ever imagined that i would be doing something like that let alone um but he turned this person be successful he turned his life around i'm 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 sorry carrie we're gonna have to let you go because we are out of time but i want to come back and hear more about uh how the restorative justice practices are happening across the state especially now that we're going to see expanded use of it i'm going to thank our guests we've been talking with sharon hendricks there the restorative justice uh director in yellow medicine county as well as brenda burnside the ceo of let's circle up also working there uh in the ramsey county attorney's office and cara beck Beckman, uh, a senior evaluator, a researcher at the University of Minnesota Medical School. Thank you, Sharon, Brenda, and Cara. And thank you to our listeners who called in with your stories. This conversation was produced by Maya Beckstrom. See you at the fair at 2 o'clock this afternoon. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.